You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. We are going to be reading from 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion and forever and ever. Amen. Word of the Lord. I will say a pass along greetings from First Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia. I know most of you, almost all of you, I think only two of you have been over to the States, so you don't quite understand the fondness that our church has for this church. And you may find that, that odd, a bunch of people who don't know you love you. But you send over some good representatives, and our church prays for you. This is the third team that we've had come over here to uh, just to, to get to know you. And uh, it's really a privilege, and I know we'll talk a little bit about what's going on this week in just a moment but I just wanted to greet you, and it is my pleasure to open God's word with you this morning. We heard our passage read from 1 Peter chapter 4, but in the, in the context where we just throw that passage out and we begin, it's, it is a little bit helpful for us to understand the context of 1 Peter. And the letter of 1 Peter really is meant to encourage and spur on a persecuted church, a church that is undergoing some very difficult times. They find themselves discouraged. They're indeed suffering, and this book reminds the reader that even in the midst of hardship and trials that life marches on, suffering doesn't stop things like loving God and loving your neighbor or loving your spouse. Suffering doesn't mean that we stop seeking to grow in grace or trusting God. We don't put those things on hold or neglect them just because life becomes very difficult. And the apostle here makes it clear that we press on. And when you get to chapter four, Peter is exhorting them over and over not to live for themselves, but for the will of God, to live distinctly and uniquely in the culture that God has called them to. They're to pursue the things of God instead of seeking this indulgence that everyone around them was doing. Now we come and we began our reading there in verse seven, and Peter reminds them in the face of all these difficulties, that these difficulties will not last forever. They are temporary indeed. Things will change, and therefore they can stand strong. And I know that Rachel just read our passage for us, but as Matt knows, I always like to read the passage, and I thought maybe we need a refresher. So I wanna reread this passage for us, for our sake and for my sake. But if you would follow along, I wanna read these five verses one more time. Peter says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word now that we might see Christ and become like him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now in 2008, there was a movie that came out, and I'm quite certain that almost everyone in this room is not familiar with it. It's a movie called Vantage Point. Uh, if you, some of you are shaking your head like, you're like, you're into that movies as much as me. So there's this movie that came out in 2008 called Vantage Point. It's a movie about an assassination attempt on a U.S. president while he is in Spain. And I don't really honestly remember much about the movie at all, and I haven't taken the time to go back and rewatch the movie. But what struck me about the movie is the way the story was told. It's a unique storytelling experience. The movie tells this story. Well, let me tell you, the tagline for the movie, if you were to go look at it, it would say this. Eight witnesses, eight points of view, one truth. Eight witnesses, eight points of view, one truth. The events of this story are told and retold in this movie from eight different vantage points, from the perspective of each person. What did they see? What did they witness? And so they tell this story, and every person there had a different take on the, the story about the event. They all had a different angle, their different evaluation of what happened. Well, this evening I want to take, I want to borrow this storytelling approach as we look at verses seven through 11. And I'd like to focus us, kind of narrow it down to one thing and look at it from a few different vantage points, kind of like our movie did. And if you look in the middle of our passage, right there in verse nine, these two simple words, show hospitality. I want to hone in on this idea of hospitality. You might have seen that the, the title for this sermon is Radical Hospitality, but I want to hone in and consider it from a few different vantage points. The first one is this. Who is the audience of hospitality? Then I'd like for us to consider the attributes of hospitality, and then finally, the supernatural ability of hospitality. So I'll repeat that. The audience of hospitality, the attributes of hospitality, and the ability of hospitality. But we'll begin with the who, the audience of hospitality. Now, when I say hospitality, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I just keep it right there in your brain. Think about it for a second. But what comes to your mind when I say hospitality? For some of us, we think hospitality, we think, I need to be kind to someone. For the others of us, we hear hospitality and think, oh, that means inviting someone into my home, maybe to a meal. For others of us, we have this idea of, well, hospitality makes sure that someone feels welcome. And for others, if I say hospitality, you immediately think of the service industry of hospitality. But take everything that we're thinking about. The one thing that is true about all of them that comes to mind is it all centers around people. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, go on the internet and look at Reddit. It's something I rarely do. But... I did read a while back this exchange between a European who was coming to America and, a few, and he was contacting a few Americans. 
and the European was coming and he was asking, what should I expect when I visit an American home? And the answers were varied but also very consistent. The Americans said this. They said, it's very rare that people would actually have you enter their home. But when people in America do have those into their home, it's usually centered around a meal or entertainment. Those are the reasons people have others into their home. And usually, it's always gonna be close friends or family. So you're gonna invite your closest friends and family into your home for entertainment or a meal. And it's usually people enjoying their inner circle. So... You could say hospitality is reserved for those closest to you. But when the Bible speaks about hospitality, it speaks differently. Hospitality actually isn't about those closest to you. If you read in the Old Testament, you go all the way back to Leviticus, God tells his people to welcome the stranger that is among them, to treat those strangers like their own. He tells them to love them. And he tells them to do this because they too at one point, were aliens and strangers in a foreign place. By definition, hospitality is not about fellowshipping with other believers, you're your friends. It's about loving the stranger in your midst. Now, if you read the Bible further, you'll notice that hospitality is often brought up in regards to travelers, sojourners, usually from a foreign place. So hospitality has in view people who are not like us, who are by definition, different than us, different in what they believe, different in how they live, different from where they come from. But when we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter begins talking about hospitality, and there's a little bit of a twist on it. There's an expansion, you could say, to the definition of hospitality in the scriptures. Because if you read 1 Peter chapter 4, this is in reference to people who are in the body of Christ. This is to people, you could say, that are in the church. But how would those people be a stranger? Well, I can tell you right now, I'm in this church, and there are a lot of strangers in here. I don't know you. Dr. Christine Pohl defines strangers as anyone without a place, people who are disconnected. Anyone without a place are people who are disconnected. Given this definition, I think this makes sense in the context of 1 Peter, where there's a need for hospitality amongst People in the church. Consider the moment in time that the audience of 1 Peter is living. The church is being persecuted. People are de- being displaced and dispersed all over. People are showing up in your town or in your city who you've never met before, but they actually believe in Jesus. This would have been a new phenomenon, but it's happening where they're at. They have new people who've been displaced. They're in need. They need, they need help, but they also need friendship. They need community. They need fellowship. So Peter tells them, be hospitable. If hospitality really means loving a stranger in your midst, those who are disconnected, the person without a place, without community, then it's anyone who you're unfamiliar with. Hospitality is anyone who's a stranger to you. Therefore, it could be a person in this room right now, someone you see on a weekly basis. I'm not gonna do this to you, but if I just grabbed you and I said, walk me around and introduce me to everyone, There is at least one person in this room right now you know you should know the name of, and you don't. And you'd be terrified if we walked up to that person. You'd be like, hey, uh, this is Justin. And then you'd wait for me to ask their name so you would get it back. You know that little song and dance. I do it all the time. But that means there's strangers in our midst. They could be a few seats away from you. 
It could be another Christian that shows up in Manchester, shows up to a city church worship service or any event. That could be the stranger God who's putting you in your life. It could be a new person uh, that shows up completely different than you, different spiritual beliefs. A stranger could have different political beliefs. They could have different sexual ethics. When it comes to hospitality, the beautiful thing here is there are no qualifications for, for someone who should receive hospitality. Hospitality doesn't require agreement on big issues with someone. In fact, the Old Testament, like I think the thing that would mark hospitality as different is that it's usually shown to people who are different than you, that things that you don't have agreement in. So agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. The audience of hospitality is what the Old Testament called a stranger at the gate. You don't know anything about them, but you're to show them hospitality. Let's keep, keep going here. The early church was really good at this, by the way. The early church was good at showing hospitality. If you're familiar with church history at all, you realize that Christianity was radical at the beginning because it accepted people from all walks of life. Christians loved and served their enemies. That was radical. They took care of the dead who were thrown out by society. They, they took the despised of society and gave them a place where they could find refuge and be welcome. When you think about our homes, Often our homes are reserved for those only closest to us. Often when it comes to our time, our time is reserved for those who can benefit us in some way. When it comes to relationship, often we offer relationship to those who are easy and we find full agreement with. But if we're truly gonna be hospitable, that can't be the way that we operate. We actually hamstring our ability to love the stranger in our midst. Now, there are lots of ways to show hospitality inside the church and outside the church. The person I was just telling you about that shows up at City Church that you've never met before, it's easy. one easy way to be hospitable is to walk up to them and introduce themselves, yourself to them. If you see a new face at church, invite them over for dinner. If you're going out to dinner, ask them to come along. If there's a new person in town, say, hey, let's grab lunch someday. Hey, we're having a game night with some of our friends. You should join us. Uh, I see that you have a welcome team here. You could be the face of hospitality for your church. Just sign up and volunteer. Hospitality, I think, is beautiful because it is a visible, tangible way to display the love of Christ to another person. It communicates a lot, more than we realize. And they're simple things, but I think we may even underestimate how valuable they are because they communicate something real valuable like, I see you. It says, you have value. You're an image bearer of God. And it communicates something else. It says, you're welcome here. And oftentimes, that's not a signal that most people get. The stranger or the unfamiliar person is the audience of hospitality. Now let's move on to a different vantage point that was the attributes of hospitality. Let's, let's consider hospitality and what are the attributes of it? Like if we look at it and know it, what, could, what would describe it? And we don't have the ability to touch on all of those, but I wanna touch on a few of them. Now I wanna take you back to the end of last summer. Uh, I had, there was an older saint in our congregation who's a dear friend of mine. His name was Lindsey Crosby. And Lindsey passed away last year, and I heard many people over the course of days and weeks speak about him, and every time they spoke about Lindsay, they always, they mentioned the same two things. It was like I was listening to something on repeat. They would talk about how Lindsay was a prayer warrior, 
But then the other thing that they all said is he was extremely hospitable. So if we think about what makes a person hospitable, what are the attributes of hospitality? You can think, what is the DNA in hospitality? Well, let's, I don't have time to do everything, so we're just gonna consider a few of them. The first one is this. Hospitality is rooted in love. That is one of its attributes. It is rooted in love. It is inspired by love. If you look at verse eight, right before this command to be hospitable, you see the apostle telling him to love one another and the very first application of love one another was be hospitable. And the type of love which would inspire hospitality doesn't come from my natural inclination or love of hospitality. The type of love for someone who's really hospitable isn't even love for another person. It begins with a love for God. And, we can, and you may go, okay, that makes sense. But I would even go a step further and say that your love for God doesn't even start with you. So where does this love that inspires hospitality begin with? It begins with God's love for us. If you, if you read 1 John chapter 4, it tells us that our love for God doesn't even come from us. It comes from him. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love God because he first loved us. So we love others because we are first loved by God. And when you consider how were you loved by God, how were you loved by God? I think it'd be easy to say we're most clearly loved by God in the person of Jesus Christ. And I would argue that Jesus loved you with ultimate hospitality. Take the stranger at the gate illustration. That's the person you're to be hospitable toward. That person shows up asking for help. That is not how we were strangers at the gate with Jesus. We weren't showing up to Jesus asking for help. The Bible tells us that we were enemies of God going our own way, not seeking after him. We had no interest in living the right way or fixing our, our sin problems. But God, in Christ, was rich in mercy, and he loved us, and he showed us hospitality by welcoming us in. Even when we were resistant, he welcomes us and he invites us to himself and into the family of God. And he offers to cover our sin and bind up our wounds and give us eternal security. In the most real way, Jesus was hospitable to us. We were not deserving. We did not meet the criteria. We did not have full agreement. And his hospitality, by the way, continues on to this day. Uh, one of the things I love is that uh, Jesus now is in heaven and he's preparing a place for us. He is preparing, he's being hospitable even when we're not there. And the other part about the good news is like, he can't wait for us to be there. Like, that's hospitality. He's waiting for us. He's ready and willing and wanting to welcome us with a well done, good and faithful servant. Enter your master's joy. Hospitality is rooted in love because hospitality is rooted in God. And that's how God has treated us. Hospitality is practiced by God because, well, it's important to him. And that's the second attribute I would point out is the importance of hospitality. It is important to God. We see in our text that there is this emphasis on, being, on what is important. If you look at the very uh, first verse there in verse seven, it says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. I mean, we are 
in the final days here, as far as what Peter is communicating, the end is near. These are his final instructions, and we see this language. Well, above all, do this. Like, this is the most important stuff. And he says, above all, he says, love one another. And again, we noted already, his first application was to immediately encourage hospitality. So we can deduct a few things from that, but if you go further... We can also deduct that hospitality is very important to God. One, because in this passage, he commands it. God commands things that are very important to him. And then the thing that we, we kind of see mentioned partially here is that God gives all believers spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. And he gives them, or some of them, the gift of hospitality. God finds hospitality to be very important because he's commanding it, and then he's also giving other people extra measures of grace in this area so that they might do it and do it well. I'm sure some of you have this gift because I've already seen it on display. God is and always has been passionate about hospitality from the very beginning in the Old Testament to right now. So whether you're especially gifted in it or you're a novice, we're all exhorted to practice hospitality. And the good news is, is God's committed to this as well, so he will help you. This is, the beautiful part of this is that you can grow in it over time. You can be more hospitable than you were yesterday. So let's go on to the third attribute. Uh, hospitality is generous. Hospitality is generous. If you look at verse nine, it tells us that our hospitality is to be done without grumbling. Other translations kind of capture this idea to be done without complaining, or we're not to practice hospitality begrudgingly. By definition, hospitality is selfless. It's generous by nature. It puts others before ourselves. Again, this is something Jesus models for us constantly in the Gospels as you read them. But he also, this, is this not how our salvation comes about? By Jesus putting others before himself. This was the vehicle of salvation. Since hospitality calls for generosity, it necessarily will call for your availability. You cannot be hospitable without being available. Availability, I think, is the hallmark characteristic of every hospitable person. Uh, some of those who hear me teach regularly will know I say this a lot, but the best ability is availability. I don't care about all your other abilities if you're not available. The best ability is availability. This is especially true when it comes to hospitality. Therefore, what is the worst thing that we can demonstrate if we wanna be a hospitable person? It's selfishness. Selfishness will undercut and undermine and sabotage hospitality. I'll also just point this out. With your availability, uh, it combine, when you combine it with hospitality, it's gonna require risk from you to put yourself out there, to take some initiative. Our team met with Matt just yesterday, and he said, uh, you might find yourself in some situations where it's kind of scary. Be courageous, right? And so we, we might have to take risks. I, I promise you, there are a million reasons, excuses why you will not be hospitable. There are a lot of reasons. There are many lies and myths floating out there. There's some that I th may be just really American and that's how I feel about them. They may be universal, I don't know. But perhaps these ring a bell. Here are some lies or myths that float around about hospitality. Uh, oftentimes we think, well, I need to have a nice house or a big house if I'm gonna have people over. Or I can't really have people over because my house is really not clean enough. 
It has to be immaculate if I'm going to have people over. That's not true, by the way. Me and my wife have people over all the time and our house isn't immaculate. We think we need to prepare big meals or be entertaining, or perhaps you have children and you think, oh, I need to hide the children away because they would be an inconvenience. None of that is true. You know why? Because none of that's real life. That is not real life. We're offering relationship, not entertainment. This is real life shared together. Further, some of us think to be hospitable, I need to be extroverted. That's something the extroverts do. That's not true. The extroverts would possibly be the worst at hosting something because they haven't thought through a detail yet, right? The introverted people, we got it on lockdown, right? But the reality is, is that's a lie too. We don't have to be extroverted. Now, there's one other thing. Perhaps you're, you're uh, the captain of this ship. Oftentimes people are like, I can't be hospitable because I'm too busy. I'm too busy to be hospitable. If that's what you're thinking, you're not gonna like what I'm about to say. Be less busy. Find a way to be less busy. I had a mentor of mine one time who I was in ministry and he's talking to me and I'm, we're going over my week and he tells me, you're too busy, you need to take things out of your schedule. And I'm like, what, these are all important things like Bible studies, preparing for Bible studies, meeting with people. He's like, whatever, find some time, cut it out because here's the thing, if God ever plopped ministry into your lap, you wouldn't have time to do it. I didn't have margin in my life to be hospitable. And so we have to create some margin in our life to be hospitable. Make the time to be generous with your time. Now let me tie this up and go on to the last point, but I think this is important because of what we mentioned earlier. Hospitality communicates that you matter, that I'm for you, that I see you, that you're valuable. And so many of the people operate in this world and they don't feel loved and they don't feel accepted, they don't feel like they have a place, they don't feel welcome, they feel disconnected. But we have an opportunity to connect them to the very best community that has ever existed, the Church of Jesus. This is the best community, this is the invite everyone really wants to have whether they know it or not. And we can offer it by being hospitable. I think City Church has a pretty good reputation of being hospitable. But what if the whole city of Manchester were to say, do you know about City Church? Yes, that is a church that's known for its hospitality. They love the stranger at the gate. They will open their doors wide for the person who finds himself disconnected or a stranger. If you're like me and you think about application to something, you're like, I just... Can you tell me a few things? Like, I'm blanking. It's hard to process. And so, if you're like me, I'm going to do something here. Just throw out some applications that you might consider. One is open your home. If that's really difficult, start with people in your church. The person that maybe you've just met and bring a few friends that you know well and bring a few others that you don't. I mentioned one earlier. Join the welcome team. You can be the face of, hey, we're glad that you're here. Like, I tell you, there's... Some, when I walk into places that I'm, I'm, I'm scared of, someone who welcomes me and says, I'm glad you're here, that person I like, all right? So join the welcome team. Another simple option is if you see a new person at church, introduce yourself. Can't tell you how many times I've known other pastors, other people in our church who go to another church and they say, no one spoke to me at all. That should never happen. That should never happen. Invite a new person to join you in a hobby. You see a new person standing in the corner of a room, no one's talking to them, go talk to them. 
Take cookies to someone who's a new neighbor. If you have a coworker you just met, invite them to go to lunch with you. If you pay, feel painfully shy, perhaps you are, and you're like, Justin, you said that we can grow in this. I'm not there yet, but I wanna start growing. Well, serve physically. Use yourself, your body, to get involved in helping somehow, some way. You could also write a note. You could be an extra warm body in an event. You can do that. You can do any of these things. All of these things, either directly or indirectly, help show people the love of Christ. So let's be zealous about this. The last thing I want to point to, the third point, is the ability of hospitality, or you could say the potential. If you look at verse 11, it tells us that love and hospitality and the stewarding of God's grace in our lives has the potential to glorify God. But the question is, well, how? Well, I want to give you an example of a story of how hospitality has great potential to glorify God. In the mid-1990s, there was a tenured professor of English and Women's Studies at Syracuse University who was somewhat famous. She had an emphasis in her study on feminist and queer theory, and she was living with her girlfriend at the time, living a very happy life, and her name was Rosaria Butterfield. And she lived in Syracuse, New York, which if you know, it's like a cold place in New York. It's up there. It's not New York City or the nice places. It's, it's up there. And so she's living there. And in 1997, a ministry called Promise Keepers was coming to Syracuse, New York. And Rosaria wrote a pointed article in the local newspaper protesting their presence and their mission. And the article was so direct in its critique that it garnered many responses Many of those responses were, thank you for writing that. Many of those responses were, no thank you for writing that. And they were actually very mean about it. But there was one response that she got that did not agree with her, but was done with such grace and gentleness that it intrigued her. And that letter led to a conversation with a pastor, a Presbyterian minister actually, named Ken Smith. So that conversation was interesting. She walked in and said she was hardened conversion. She had no desire to be a Christian. She hated everything about Christianity, but she had research to do for a book. So she goes and she starts into this meeting and she meets with Ken Smith. And Ken Smith asked her, hey, will you come to dinner with me and my wife? Because they ended up living in the same neighborhood. And Rosaria, who was hardened to conversion, with no interest, doing research, over the course of the next two years, she says she estimates she was in their home for dinner over 200 times. Think about having someone into your home for dinner over 200 times. Some of you are like, I haven't eaten my own home 200 times in the last two years. But they would just eat and they would talk. She noted that the Smiths were real. That they weren't like hateful Christians that she had encountered at protesters to gay pride events. She noted that they actually loved her and that they loved Jesus. And that's what made them unique to her. Now eventually through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, Rosaria Butterfield would become a Christian. And she would end up marrying another Presbyterian minister. And she now lives in Durham, North Carolina, where she lives with her husband and her kids. She regularly speaks, she writes, She teaches at some universities. But the question I always am wondering, why did she become a Christian? You could say, well, the Holy Spirit and the Bible and Jesus. I would agree, yes. But if you look at the mechanics of it, how did she become a Christian? 
I would say that she became Christian because the body of Christ showed her hospitality. They were patient with her, and they loved her, and they listened to her, and they cared for her. Hospitality was the vehicle by which God used to open a door for her to hear the gospel. Hospitality is capable of opening doors that the gospel would never otherwise have. It is its supernatural ability. So if we were to ask, what is the ability or potential of hospitality? Well, I think this is one example, that it can open doors for the gospel. I go so far to say that hospitality is the one single most underutilized evangelistic tool the church has today. And I'd I'd also say that hospitality is the most important evangelistic tool that we have today, especially in 2023. Uh, Perhaps it's the best way for us to reach the culture. I wanna begin, I wanna explain that for a second and I'll end here. I'm 43 years old and I'm about to do some generalizing and stereotyping and I know that can get a lot of people in trouble. Just bear with me, I promise it's not offensive. But in general, most people who are older than me, if you ask them, how did you come to the church? What was your journey into the church or into faith? Most of them would say a story something like this. Well, I uh, was talking to a person and we engaged about the gospel and the truth and I considered that truth. And once I believed, I joined that community. And once I was in that community, then I was in the church. That is what usually people older than me. But I've been working with young adults for the last 12 years. I would say the regular story of people younger than me, their journey into the church or into Christianity begins with, I found a community that loved me and accepted me and welcomed me. Then I heard their truth, I investigated for myself and I believed it, and then I entered the church. That is how hospitality works. That is the way most people will become a Christian in 2023 and beyond. It used to be that truth led to community. Now it's community leads to truth. So to reach people now, we must have an emphasis as a church on hospitality because it opens doors to talk about Christ that would otherwise be closed to us altogether. The public square used to be a place where you could talk about ideas, thoughts, and you could debate them back and forth. That does not exist today. I would say the public square today is probably mostly social media, and it has to be the worst public square that has ever existed in the history of time. That is not a place where you can disagree on something, discuss things. But you want to know a place that is capable of civil discourse in 2023, where you could disagree with someone and still be friends? You could disagree and come back to the table later? It's your living room. It's your dining room table. It's the fire pit in your backyard. Those are places where you can invite people and talk and listen, even disagree and still be friends. These are spaces that are safe and allow us to talk with people, to love them, to let them process. And it's a place where they can feel welcomed and loved. But in order for that evangelistic opportunity to be unleashed, we have to have an open door policy. We have to be available. Rosaria Butterfield was shocked to see that Ken and Floyd Smith were kind and loving people. But when they did, it broke down all their preconceptions in the walls of her heart. If we want to glorify God, if you want to reach your city and love your neighbor, see this church grow, I think it might start with emphasizing hospitality. I remember uh, I was a sophomore in college, as you say, university, 
and I lived in a dorm or residence hall, and I remember wanting to do ministry amongst those people, to get to know them. And there was one big stumbling block. If you went in your door, they had those little hinges on the back and the door automatically shut. People would just go in their rooms. There was no window to their door. You couldn't even see if they were in there or not. And I was like, we'll never get to know anyone here. I, everything changed for, because of $5. I went to the dollar store. I don't know if you guys have those. You have a, something like that? I went to the dollar store and I bought, bought door wedges. I gave them to everyone and I said, hey, if you're here, leave your door open so that we know, we get to know each other. And it did and it worked. My question is, how will you be creative to solve the barriers that you have to hospitality? If you're single, think about it with your friends and like brainstorm some ways that we can be hospitable. If you're married, you have a layer here that you need to think through. How can we be hospitable? If you're married with kids, well, that's something else you have to work through. How can we be hospitable? But I encourage you, don't let the barrier stop you from being creative in reaching your neighbor and showing them hospitality. Get creative in doing that. Pray about it, think about it, and then step out in faith and try it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are good to us and you're, you're faithful. Thank you that when we were far from you, uh, you came and pursued us. We pray that you would help us be men, women, and children who see others and reach out to them, to love them, to offer them relationship, and to point them to Christ. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.